than 20 minutes. We looked at topics, we looked at all sorts of things. But it was suggested to me that I redo some of my talks from a few years ago uh, on a Sunday evening, and I've resisted because uh, I don't think, uh, as much as I believe in recycling, you know, I don't think it's the healthiest thing to do. So tonight, we're not going to do a repeat, but we are going to do a redo of something that I preached a few years ago. And I, the reason that we're doing it is that I think it's an important message uh, for our church, and also I've got some important apologies and retractions to make uh, from six years ago when I, I first preached this. Because plenty has changed over the last six years. Uh, we've got a new name as a church, we've got a new building. Uh, I've taken over as pastor in the last six years. There's been lots of change. Um, and uh, there's lots of things that uh, we can still learn, really, from what we looked at all that time ago. Now, back in olden days, theologians used to retract things every once in a while. They used to write books, and then they'd write retractions. Well, I'm going to make a few of those this evening. Pastors are popes. Uh, we're fallible. For the record, the pope is fallible, too. Um, but in fact, some of the things that I've, I said all that time ago will look like I've completely got it wrong. But actually, those are the things that I stand by. But we'll see as we go through. I'll alert you to them as we go. But our three headings this evening are all to do with myths around mission. Myths around mission. Uh, Three that I stand by, but we'll need to take care as we look through them. So we're going to look at that passage uh, together. Our first heading this evening is the harvest is small. Let me just read the last two verses uh, to you again. It said, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the labourers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. One of the things that we often get butted about uh, in the Christian world is that we live in a day of smaller things. Nobody in Britain cares anymore about the gospel and all the blessing and growth uh, is overseas. Christianity in the West, if you read the news, is in terminal decline. There's nothing really for Christians to do here but weather the storm. Try and survive and wait until Jesus comes back. But what does our passage say? Jesus, as he looks out, says the harvest is plentiful. Jesus looks at the crowd. There's a context for this verse. Uh, What prompts him is verse 36. The crowd are, are harassed and helpless. The crowd are like sheep without a shepherd. So let me put it this way, as he looks out, it's not thinking about Christians that makes him think about the harvest field. It's actually the crowd that are there that make him think about it. The crowd that actually will cry crucify uh, only a few weeks later. Many of these people will not come to faith in Christ. But yet, as he looks at this crowd of people, he says the harvest is plentiful, the fields are ripe. So what Jesus is talking about here is that a large number of non-believers is the harvest field. That's what he says. A large number of non-believers is the harvest field. Let me put this a different way. The story is told of a shoe salesman who went to Africa to sell shoes. After six months, he wrote back and said, this is hopeless. Nobody wears shoes. Now, this is my first apology and recantation. I preached this somewhere and got pulled up on the fact that I shouldn't imply that uh, Africans don't or didn't wear shoes. Uh, in fact, they've had shoes in parts of Africa for thousands of years. Think of the Egyptians. Uh, they've been around a long while. So I'm going to make it more specific. A shoe salesman went to the Maasai tribe in Kenya uh, and northern Tanzania, who to this day spend much of their time barefoot. Anyway, that salesman went home, saying there's no point in me being here. No one wears shoes. So the shoe company sent another salesman Six months later, he wrote back and said, 
The opportunities here are endless. Send more shoes. No one here wears shoes. Same situation, but looking at it in a completely different way. One saw it as a problem, the other saw it as an opportunity. You see, the problem really for mission would be if everyone around us were a believer. If that were the case, then we'd have no space for mission. We'd have nothing to do. That is not the situation we are in in Western Europe. It's not the situation that we're in in this part of the world, is it? So actually, if we take Jesus seriously here, the harvest is plentiful here. I refuse to believe that when God talks about a plentiful harvest field, he's excluding Otley, Ilkley and the surrounding area. There are 15,000 people in Otley, 15,000 people in Ilkley, there are 8,000 people in Burley, 5,000 people in Menston, 200 in Weston, 250 in Asquith, Dyson's got another uh, uh, 12,000, Adigan's got another 4,000. We're not in some obscure desert island where there's only one or two people around. We're not in a place where there's no gospel witness. We live here, we work here, we have our church here. So I can't believe that God has no one else in the area that he wants for his own. If you add those up, that makes up around 50,000 people. 50,000 people like sheep without a shepherd. And I can't believe that there's no one amongst them that God wants. And I don't think it's just ones or twos either. Why would God put us here if there's nothing to do? It's his harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. And he knows what he's doing. So who wants us to believe that the harvest is small? Well, the devil does, doesn't he? He wants us to convince us that that's true. Because if that were true, then we should all look sticks and go to where God is working. Maybe go to China or to other parts of the world where people are becoming Christians in large numbers. But I believe the harvest is plentiful here. So that's our myth number one. The harvest is small. This is obviously a bridge from last time. It's a bit shorter on Sunday evening. Myth number two. Oh, we got myth number three as well. Myth number two. We need more workers. Let me read those verses to you again. Therefore the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Okay, this is one of my bugbears. Okay? It's quite trendy now for places to pray 938 prayers. Or ask others to pray 938 prayers for them. And this is what they want to pray. They want to pray for more workers for the harvest field. More workers for the harvest field. Can anyone spot the problem with that sentence? So this is what they, they say. The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more labourers into his harvest. Anyone spot the mistake? Should put on screen The word more. It's not there. It's one of those things that just sort of subtly gets dropped in. I've double-checked in the Greek and everything. It's not there. I've double-checked in the parallel passage in Luke. It's not there. In none of them does it say more workers. So if this isn't a prayer for more workers, what is it? Well, it's a prayer for God to work with the workers that we have. It's asking God to send out the workers into the harvest field. Now the phrase send out is a little weak. 
When I was looking at this for the first time, all that time ago, I expected a word in Greek called apostello, where we get our word apostle from, and it means send out, okay? But instead of that, it's another word that we meet all the way through the Gospels, but it's a bit different. It's actually the word ekbalo, which means cast out, okay? And normally that's used with Jesus for demons, okay, when he casts them out. It almost implies a force to it, to thrust them out, So what he's praying here is that the workers would be thrust out into the harvest field. Shove them, if you like, into the harvest field. So the prayer is not for more workers, but for the few workers that we have to be thrust out into the fields. The emphasis moves to God compelling people to go to the needy sheep that he's looking as he sees around it. This moves us more from that prayer sort of, where are they, Lord, send them... So here are we, Lord, here are my Lord, send me. The prayer is that God would thrust the workers out. Maybe think a bit like, you know, you see those nativity plates, and it's like the little child that sort of doesn't want to go onto the stage, and, you know, you, you suddenly get this, this suddenly fly onto the stage, and somebody's sort of giving them a bit of a nudge. Or, you know, the nervous paratrooper that's got to jump out of the plane for the first time, and, you know, he's sort of looking down, and he just gets a bit of a nudge from his commanding officer. It almost gives you the idea there's a bit of a thud that happens as, as Jesus thrusts them out into the field. So the prayer is actually not, not for more people, but it's a prayer that our hearts would change. That's really what it's praying. That our hearts would change and make us go. It's less a prayer for out there and more a prayer for in here, for our own hearts. It's a prayer that God would do something to us as we pray it. Now here's the other bit where I'd like to make another recantation, another sort of apology. This is my big one for the evening. When I preached this before, I used a quote from Jim Elliot. Um, and Jim Elliot's famous for that, um, oh, I've not written it down. The, um, no fool is he who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He wrote it in his journal before he was killed, uh, sharing the gospel with a, a tribe in South America. I got another quote from his journal. Uh, which said that we don't need the great, com- and we don't need a, a call to ministry. We've got to call the great commission. What we need is a kick in the pants. That uh, was what he wrote in his journal. And I think that's true in one sense. But I think what I'd like to say this six years on is the kick needs to come from God, not from the pastor. I've been convicted this week that I've been laying it on quite thick about mission evangelism, reaching our friends. When I know actually so many of us are working so hard actually to do that, longing to see people saved. And it's not right to motivate people with guilt or undue pressure or overemphasizing certain parts of theology over others, even if the end is good. The motivation for us doing things has to be good too, for Christ's glory, for Christ's fame. So I want to say this evening, you don't need me to give you a kick in the pants. That's not what you need from me. God has already done that. What you need from me is help and support to do that. Help and support to reach your friends and family with the gospel. And I'm going to be thinking about about over summer how I can do that better as a pastor. But we don't need more workers. Who wants us to believe that we need more workers before we can do anything meaningful? The devil, okay. If he can convince us that we need more workers before we can make a difference then what we'll be doing is on the lookout for workers to recruit rather than non-believers to evangelise. We end up becoming recruitment consultants rather than farm labourers, which is what he wants us to be. 
Now, gathering a team is really important. And I really believe that as our church has grown this past year and nearly doubled, that actually God is gathering together a team. But we need to make sure that our team is a mission team, that we're gathering together for mission, not just a club for coziness. This can get quite cozy. It's quite nice having a lot more people around. But we need to make sure we keep mission on the agenda. So that was myth two. We need more workers. And then finally, on to myth three. The cavalry is coming. Now this is the one where it looks like I got this totally wrong six years ago. But I don't think I have. Let me just read to you the next five verses after the ones we have read. And he called to him his twelve disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Have you ever suggested to someone that they do something only to find that you have to do it at the end? I remember when I was growing up in our house it always used to be, can someone put the kettle on? And then it would, my mum would sort of ask it and it would generally end up being my mum that would put the kettle on. That's the way it worked. You know, you, you make a request and you end up doing it yourself. Well, Jesus here tells his disciples to pray that the workers would be cast out into the harvest field. And then in the very next verse, Jesus sends them into the harvest field. We miss it because we put chapter divisions in, but actually run straight into that. He sends them to the lost sheep of Israel, the sheep without a shepherd. In the parallel passage in Luke, he sends out the 72, going out a bit further. But the prayer is always followed by Jesus sending out people. That's always what comes next. So they're not praying for a separate group. God doesn't have a secret stash of workers just around the corner. It's not like the old western where a few men hold the fort until the big army appears on the hill. Or if you like Lord of the Rings, you know, when they're all sort of in Helm's Deep waiting for the morning when Gandalf is going to... No, we don't have many Lord of the Rings fans, okay? <laughs> Just me. Um, but you might be thinking, well, hang on, Chris. Hasn't the opposite happened? I mean, there were nearly 70 people in church this morning. That's double what we were before lockdown. But just more people on a Sunday automatically mean more mission. No, not automatically. It could do. But for that, our 938 prayers need to be answered. For actually people to go from being just people who call on a Sunday to actually people involved in mission. So a church should be a mission HQ, a missionary hub, an evangelistic high. But in practice it can become a holy huddle, can't it? More people does not mean the cavalry has come. And anywhere, like I say, in this part of the Wharf Valley, there are 50,000 people. So the difference between 30 people reaching that and 60 people reaching that is not all that significant, really. There's still a long way to go. Again, who wants us to believe that the cavalry is coming? The devil. If he can convince us that someone else will come and do it for us, or we can just wait, then we'll end up waiting forever, or until the church inevitably closes. So who is going to reach our area with the gospel? God is. That's why it's important that we pray. But how is God going to reach our area with the gospel? Well, through you and me. Jesus only had 12. They were named 
uh, there in chapter 10. They'd only actually got three years' experience of going around with Jesus. They'd only been a Christian for three years. They were baby Christians by most of our standards. And yet, with that small number of young Christians, the church grew to thousands in every corner of the globe within a generation. And it continues to grow uh, as it goes out across the world. So we can do this. So what does working in the harvest field look like in our situation? We don't need to go to China. The harvest is plentiful here. Yes, harvesting may feel harder, but there is a harvest field. What we need to do is open our eyes. Look around. Again, not so much in this room, but out there. Go to the park tomorrow. Wear wear sunscreen and hat and everything. Don't, Don't burn yourself. But you'll see hundreds of people out in the park. Go to Weatherspoons. Man, there's like, you know, it's like a hive. It's just sort of people waiting for tables. We need to open our eyes. The harvest is plentiful. But we also need to open our mouths. We need to speak. Not because we want, uh, or we feel guilty, not because we feel pressured, but because we want people to know our Lord Jesus, to share what we have, to enjoy what we have. So we speak in perfect mumbling, but God-inspired. God working in our hearts as we speak, and God working in their hearts as they hear. So the harvest is not small, but bigger than it's ever been. We don't need more people. We need God to work in our hearts to motivate us. And there's no cavalry coming, but God will equip us to do what we need to grow. What we need to do is be willing, and we need to pray. So let's do that now, let's pray. Father God, you tell us through your Son, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Father, we pray to you as the Lord of the harvest to send us out. Father, work in our hearts. Father, help us to love our neighbour. Help us to love the people around us. Father, help us not to go with wrong motives. Father, help us not to do it out of guilt or because somebody told us to. But Father, change our hearts. Father, help us to love people as you love them. Father, help us to share the gospel as Jesus shared the gospel with them. And Father, we pray that you would bless that. Father, we pray that we would see people saved, people going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your Son. Father, use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.